Hey everyone, welcome to the little pod that could. Uh, Last Dance, episode 9 and 10. Coach knows that I'm talking about those, breaking them down, talking about OG Karen in there in the Indiana Pacer arena, yelling at uh, Joe Klein. Well, not really, but he looks back in disgust. We talk about that. We talk about the overall doc, what we thought about MJ. What we learned from the doc uh, was good stuff. I really thoroughly enjoyed the documentary, and I hope you did too. And I hope these little analyses have been fun and given some insight and color to what's going on um, in the doc. So, yeah, enjoy. Sad day. Welcome to Little Pot that Could. <laughs> the last dance has ended. We're gonna go over the last two episodes. Um, I had quite a few notes. There's a lot going on in these two episodes, and I was a little worried because you never know. Like when something's really good, you're like, uh, like Game of Thrones. What if they just totally butcher the end? You know, never heard, never heard of it. Never heard of Game of Thrones. Yeah, it was no. It was just this little HBO show. Anyway, so you know, I was a little worried. Like, man, this, this doc has been really good. What if it just flames out? But it did not. I didn't think. I thought it was great. I think we should talk about the documentary as a whole and the ending uh, at the end. Oh, okay. So we'll you don't talk, want to talk about talk nine about and the ten specifically? We could talk about anything from the episode, and then we could talk about oh the uh, ending. Okay. All yeah. right. All right. Okay. I see. Do you have stuff you want to talk about? There was a few things that stood out to me. Okay. Basketball-wise. Okay. Uh, well, the first one is, I thought they should have talked a little bit more about the Jazz. Okay. Instead of just like, here's this team that they're playing, that they're going to beat. Because the Jazz were one of the best teams in the 90s to not win a title. They made five, mm-hmm. co- five conference finals. I mean, Stockton and Malone... Everybody, you say Stockton Malone is a basketball fan. They know Utah Jazz. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they were, I mean, I wouldn't call them an iconic team, but they were a team that everybody knew about. And I don't think any documentary is going to be made about them. But the fact that they got to the finals twice in a row in 97, 98, when their two best players were drafted in 84 and 85, mm-hmm. that was quite a journey for them to get yeah. there and then to have the Jordan and the Bulls standing in their way. Well, and some of it too, you know, this is one of the things that I haven't liked about the NBA for a long time. It's like they're small market teams, so it's just, you know, it's just like the Blazers, you know, they're never going to get the respect that they probably deserve, the attention that they deserve when they're doing well, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. like they were reviewing the 98, Pist- the 98 Pacers in this, and I was like, man, that team was good, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like – that's a footnote. You know, you talk about another team of the not one of the best teams in the nineties, not win a championship. Like what about those guys? I yeah. mean, Reggie and Rick Smith's for a long time. And then add the, the Davis brothers and Mark Jackson, Jalen Rose. I mean, they were raw. I was like, dang, that's a good team. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting though, because if you, if you were to spend more time on that, like how excited part of it is the, Except for Reggie, those players are not really that interesting. No. 
and that's part that's part of it that's hard you know i mean they interviewed stockton and he had some good stuff to say but it was more like a business meeting you know what i mean <laughs> there wasn't where you know meanwhile other guys are telling stories where jordan calls himself black jesus you know like the the level of storytelling in the documentary was incredible it was high high level stuff magic told some good stories you know i mean throughout the documentary there's a ton of great stories and i just think these four you know the top four players from those two teams smiths miller um stockton and malone there's only one guy on there that's that could tell a good story and that's reggie so it's hard you know and who else on that team you know they're uh, Simmons and Rosillo were talking about you know, Antonio or uh, Antoine Carr. You know, like yeah. that team wasn't Brian Russell. Like, you know, there's nobody, there's nobody on that team that could tell a good story. So I think that's part of the problem too. Is like, just the documentary is entertainment. You know, and it has to be entertaining. So it's tough when you have people that are not good storytellers. That's a good point. That's a good point. I guess. Uh, but they could have give some sort of background on like they these two guys finally got here. Yeah, you know, I mean, they were dream team teammates. I mean, they could have gone a little bit into that. They yeah. could have done something because they gave the Pacers quite a bit. Yeah, and I know no, you said did. Reggie Miller's, you know, and Jordan have a little more background, and Reggie Miller's a little more entertaining. I just thought they could have they could have emphasized like they weren't just running into some team like the Jazz have worked fourteen years to get here yeah like to finally get here but it seemed like the extra that they gave the pacers was a lot of reggie you know what i mean and totally i i don't know i think it is kind of a fine line because if you get too much into oh this is how good the jazz were and this how, then it's like well are we telling the story of the jazz or are we telling the last dance you know what i mean so it is tough especially with so much i mean they've already I mean, 10 episodes, it's a lot of content. So yeah. you have to be careful not to totally go off the rails like I do in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I would, uh, like, I would have liked to talk about, just with Larry Bird being the coach of uh, the Pacers, mm -hmm. maybe it's just me being a basketball nerd, but I would have loved his perspective on playing against Jordan and then coaching against Jordan. And yeah, I, why didn't they interview him? Was he in the doc at all? He was in there early on. Early, right? But I don't think they gave him anything for the Pacers series. It was mostly yeah. Jalen Rose and Reggie Miller. Except for when they're leaving and <laughs> Bird swears at him. That was pretty funny. Um, that was a funny that was, interaction. Yeah, it was really interesting. Like, oh, wow, this is like – he's still – even though he's coaching, he still has that, like, this guy – you know, like you just can't quite get over the hump with them. It, it was really funny. I thought that was that was a and Simmons went nuts over that interaction. But yeah, it was really an interesting. <laughs> it was a funny interaction for Did sure. Did you catch how much taller Larry Bird is than Michael Jordan? Yeah, that was nuts. It was. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I knew I mean, he was. I knew he was taller, but I didn't realize it. I mean, he made Jordan look not short, but you know. Yeah. You could you could tell yeah. it was like wow bird is huge, yeah, 
Yeah, that was uh and Jordan used to wear like the biggest, baggiest suits too. <laughs> well, and it was weird because that wasn't what everyone was doing. It was pretty much just him. No, but you go a couple years later, you remember all those draft photos in two thousand three. They're giant suits. Yeah. Maybe they must have been patterning themselves after him. He was a trendsetter. <laughs> uh the other he looked thing, like he was wearing Larry Bird's suit. <laughs> he might have been. He might have been. Except it was way nicer than anything Bird probably wear. But the other thing uh, about the Jazz series, if you caught Phil Jackson talking, I think it was in '97, but before they were playing, it was like this team wants to get up and down. We got to hold them under a hundred. Yeah, and I mean, they did average 101 points a game in '98, but compared to today, like the pace of the game, uh, the lowest scoring team in 2018, 2019. Was the Memphis Grizzlies? They average 103. Yeah, that's and, the lowest. And that last dance season, uh, the Lakers averaged 105, and that was the highest. That's crazy. What was the highest in that time? The 2018-2019. The Bucks 118. Wow. Do you, do you think that's? It's because I mean, those the Bulls and the Jazz are older teams, and they were the two best teams that year. Even the Pacers mm-hmm. were an older team, and they were one of the better teams. Do you think it has to do with age? Because now we're seeing, you know, a younger league, so to speak. To uh, they have no. more energy, or do you think it's just I style mean, of play? I think it's rule changes. You mm-hmm. know, the changes in the, the hand checking. You know, the analytics, see for sure is part of it, and um, part of it, I think, too, is I mean, guys, well, guys are better shooters today than they were back then. I mean, there's way more of an emphasis. On being able to shoot, um, I don't. I think there's a lot of factors. Plus, you know, one thing that um, Simmons and Rosilla talked about, which I hadn't really thought too much about, was that this was right. This was after the expansion, and so the league was watered down for a while too. So, as a talent pool, you're looking at you know top to bottom rosters. The rosters today are significantly better than the rosters at that time. You know, at that time, Dennis Rodman is your third best guy, even aging and not really doing much else other than rebounding and playing a little defense. Like, that was still, that was great. You know, now, I mean, shoot, think about the Warriors when they had, you know, Steph and Clay and Durant and Draymond. You know what I mean? Holy, you know, it's a totally different, it's a totally different league. And I think it's more talent, it's more talent rich now than it was when the league had just expanded a few years before. So this is a good time to bring up. This is something I wanted to talk about the first episode, but I thought I'd wait till now. Mm-hmm. Would you call that Bulls team a super team? A, a super team? Like, yeah, I mean, sure. You would? Yeah, you're not? I don't know if I am. Like, because super teams now, it's like three, four, all, they want three or four all-stars. Oh, you're saying team. like, you're saying like from a, okay, yeah. I was I was thinking of like, is this one of the best teams of all time? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, the Heat, LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. They call oh, yeah. No, team. no, 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 no. Because there was still a difference of – and I talked about this a lot. Like, before the decision, I knew that LeBron was going to, like, go and play with better players because that's the AAU mentality, you mm-hmm. know? And that's totally infiltrated the game. I'm not trying to be the old guy that's like, I don't like A. I'm not saying anything about that. But I'm saying, like, that mindset has shifted. Like, Magic, Larry, Michael, those guys didn't want to team up because 
like Michael. Michael was trying to crush people. There was no way he was going to, at the end of his career, go chase rings or, you know, try to pair up with the, with Barkley somewhere or whatever. This is not how he operated, you know. And I think super teams like that had to be created by the general managers. It wasn't, it wasn't something where guys get together and decide they're going to move to, you know, all this one team and then be – I don't think that – I wouldn't say they're a super team like that. Is that if that's what you're asking? Yeah, because yeah. I would consider them one of the greatest teams ever, too. That mm-hmm. year, they happened to have one all-star because Pippen at the late start. Jordan was the only all-star mm-hmm. on the team that year. Rodman at that time, still best rebounder in the league, but was not the same athlete he was for the Pistons. Right. So I just I wouldn't consider them a super team, like in modern terms. Right. The one What's thing I missed first, too is who would like, you say is the first modern team or the first modern super team? Like the super team? Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd probably say it would be the Celtics because yep. when they got Allen Garnett, but yep. they didn't quite come together. Like, I think the way Bosch, LeBron, and Wade did it, where they kind of yeah. got together, like, hey, let's go here. And I think that's what kind of rubbed people the wrong way about it. Yes. Uh, But if you go back to. Jordan, changing subjects a little bit, not that much, but a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, his quote when he got drafted on the interview, they went back to it at the very last episode. He wanted to make Chicago a respectable program like Boston and L.A. and Philadelphia. Yeah, which was crazy to hear him say, like, the program, like, yeah. like a college, uh-huh. you know? And yeah. just the, the way the league has changed, and like I've told people before, it's not all bad that players have a little more control in their career. I think any of us in our careers, whatever whatever we're doing, we like to have a little more, you know, say, like, I'd rather go to this mm-hmm. place or that place. So I get that part. But as a basketball fan, it does make me miss those days when you could identify a team by the players. Like the yeah. Celtics, Bird, McHale, Parrish, the Lakers, Magic, Kareem. You know, you could identify the players with the teams. And now players move so much, you don't know what the team's going to look like in three years. Right. And it's hard, too. Like, I had a hard time cheering. That was honestly why I kind of stopped watching the NBA as heavy was because, like, I didn't have a team I rooted for anymore. I was cheering more for players, and I didn't really like – like, it wasn't as fun to get mm-hmm. behind just a single guy. And it's also hard because – and I'm all for the players too. Like, I think they should definitely have more control over what they're doing. I just It's just hard because they're young. You know, now we're old, so we can say this, but they're young. And a lot of times when you're young, you don't know what's best for you. You know, like I bet Kyrie right now probably wishes he had a stayed with LeBron, you know, but at the time he thought there was greener pastures somewhere else. And sometimes when you're young, you, you know, you make decisions like that where you look back and you know, I probably wasn't very smart. And so it is tough because, you know, that FOMO in this generation and this looking, always looking at what is, what could be next and what's better sometimes can get in the way of actually building a, a good team that would give you the best chance of winning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I miss, I miss that. That is the old person to me now. It's like, mm-hmm. I miss that Stockton Malone spent 14 years trying to get a title together. And, right. and now I think Reggie staying in Indiana yeah. and, I think one mm-hmm. or two years, and one of those guys leaves and says, "I got to find somewhere else to get a title because it's not working." Right. Well, even like with the the Clippers, and I think we may have talked about this. You know, I mean, they'd mortgage away their whole 
future to get those two guys and then lose this season basically and who knows what's happening next season i mean you may mortgage away your future and have both those guys leave in a year playing less than a season's worth of games or a season and a half worth of, i mean it's crazy they put so much pressure on themselves not just the clippers but all the teams they put so much pressure on themselves that we have to be ready to win a title this year there's no commitment to we're going to build for three four years be a mm-hmm. playoff team and develop a team with chemistry that can play together. I I mean, that's why I appreciated the Warriors. I know they got mm-hmm. Durant, you know, Durant, the Durant thing made him a little better, obviously, but I mean, they went through the just draft. Just a little. Yeah, just a little bit, not that much. <laughs> they went through the draft. They got most of the guys through the draft. They got a couple mm-hmm. guys off trades, but that, that was pretty much the same core of guys for that run, except for a few yeah. that went in and out. But I mean, the core group, you identified them and you knew who they were, and I appreciated that about them. Yeah, no question. Um, you know, at the same time, though, you look and you go, well, what what Toronto did when they traded for Kawhi, can you fault them? They end up with a championship out of that. I mean, so it is hard. It is – I find myself feeling like you where I, I miss those – the old the old time like that. But at the same time, I also – I don't – hate what's going on no totally a natural progression of how things are working and it's it's okay it's just not it's not as fun for me and like we were talking about you know the like when i was saying i watched the lakers celtics doc like just to see how comfortable those guys were playing with each other you just you can't replicate that with anything other than time together and yeah so yeah I, i definitely miss that but and i do think overall for older people like us it does change the quality of the game. You know, I would say the players totally. are more skilled, but the product itself, the team product, isn't as appealing. Totally. I totally agree. Okay. All right. I'm with That's you on a, that you one. Know, I'm, not a, I'm not a basketball guy anymore, so I was <laughs> taking a risk making that take. So, all right. Uh, what else you got? Well, what did you think of the documentary as a whole? Uh, do you want to get? I've got notes, so I don't know if you want to talk about the documentary as a whole already. No, if you got notes, go to your notes. Oh, I got notes. So a co- I noticed things that are not basketball related now, <laughs> like uh, one of the one of the stars of these episodes was the Indiana Pacers fan that was yelling that lady. <laughs> the lady, and she was you nuts. See, yeah, you see, I it was funny because you know, like everyone's calling people like that, Karen. You know, like entitled. Like, I want to speak to the manager. They call her Karen. I thought, oh my gosh, it's like OG Karen. I even made a meme, but uh, it was it was crazy because the internet was blowing up like that too with all these memes. I thought I was all creative and I was like one of a hundred people making memes like that. But the best part of that is Joe Klein <laughs> keeps looking back at her with the most disgusted face. Like, lady, why are you? yelling i was wondering like is that lady somewhere in her house like if someone sees her and knows her i'm sure they have to hit her and be like oh my gosh you're on the michael jordan doc she's like what you know like i wonder if she sees herself now and is she like yeah that was me (laughs) or is she like oh my gosh i can't believe all these people on the internet are making fun of me now like i i don't know why i i got it i was like this i wanted to know like who is this lady you know (laughs) like someone come forward and tell us who this is but i, I don't know See, it's like that's the kind of stuff yeah i hope so too because she was going bonkers um i also liked the larry game the larry bird game four face 
<laughs> you know. I remember uh, that at the time too. Like <laughs> Miller hits the shot and they they cut to Larry Bird and I'm like, he's been here before. Like yes. as a young kid, I like soaked in. I was like, wait a minute, he he's been in these moments. He's fine. Yeah, and and the funny thing is that's how he kind of was as a player too. Like he would get um, you know, he would get fired up on some things, but like he was really like even keeled and I was it was just funny though to see his face in that moment um and then also when I loved when Jordan was talking about Carl Malone getting the MVP in 97 and he just says it like a killer he's like oh hmm you think he's MVP okay fine you know what I mean it's like that was what he needed in that for that little bit to just you know dominate and be MJ it's thought it was funny to um just to hear the way he said it. it wasn't what he said it was the way he said it, it was like oh you think he's the mvp hmm. okay fine you know it's like got him but uh and how then m- we how have many to... mvps does jordan have uh, he had six right they have six five or maybe five five i think cream had six and he had five i think there's a there's him Shaq. maybe Le- uh, i don't know if i'd put lebron in there because there's been some pretty good seasons mixed in but i always felt like when jordan was at his peak he probably should have been mvp every year right and i feel the same about Shaq when he was with the lakers and they were winning titles yeah like he probably should have been the mvp every year so charles charles was defending his because he won the mvp in 93 yeah so he was defending that idea and he was saying that the mvp is designed for the person who has the best regular season and so he like he said in 93 i had the best regular season so i was the mvp you know and Mm -hmm. and it is you know it is tough because you're right like you could just give it to michael every year and that's part of the reason they don't he almost gets penalized for being good same thing with lebron i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of years you could say like yeah this guy you know and like those two years i'm not knocking steve nash but steve nash won the mvp twice when Shaq was in his prime like, mm-hmm. you know like if you were starting a team at that time who would you pick and you had to win who would you pick steve nash or Shaq? like both great players but mm-hmm. you're not taking steve nash i think Shaq only got one yeah which is insane I it mean, is insane the most dominant big man ever probably i mean even even more than Wilt, I think. I mean, eh, yeah. you could argue the eras, but I mean, yeah. I mean, Shaq averaged like 30 and 20 in the playoffs one year. I mean, That's average. Crazy. Like, put him down 30 and 20. I remember Kip said that one. I was like, what the heck? I couldn't believe I thought I thought he was, I thought Kip was exaggerated. I looked it up and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is right. <laughs> like, Shaq really did average 30 and 20. Like, averaged. Like, hey, this guy's going to score 30 points and have 20 rebounds tonight. Oh, and every night for the series. For the entire playoffs. That's right. What? We're going to put Sabonis on him. It'll be okay. Yeah, we'll be fine. No problems. No problems. Yeah, so um, anyway, and then, the, the I mean, the bi- there's a couple things. Man, I, we're just, can't gloss over stuff. So there's a couple big points. One's serious and one's not serious. But probably another one of the big talking points out of the doc was uh, the flu game being caused by Utah pizza guys poisoning the pizza. I mean, we got to talk about that. <laughs> like, well, I mean, first of all, first of all, is there any possibility that that story is true? I mean, that could be. 
I'm not saying there isn't, but yeah. you got to be at a pretty low point in your life if you're like, oh, I'm going to poison this pizza so Michael Jordan gets sick so the Jazz might win. And <laughs> so there was some debate. I've been listening to some people talking about it. And it is hard because you think, like, if you were going to poison the pizza, you probably wouldn't send five dudes to deliver it. <laughs> like, that's it's a little sus. But at the same time, like, Tim Grover is swearing by the story. Like, he's telling the story. Another point I have is that I was thinking about with that, though, is why in the world was Michael Jordan <laughs> eating a pizza by himself late at night? Like, what? That's what I was thinking, too. But that was... I mean, that was kind of before the nutrition, not craze, but, you know, we had all this information and now professionals are taking the nutrition a little more serious. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was still the time where like, you get room you get room service, you get a hamburger and fries and call it good. Yeah, well, and that's the point that Rasil and them were making was how do you have, you know, like what pizza place, first of all, in Utah is open that late, you know? And if it is, they're probably not really trying to poison you because they're sketchy anyway for being open that late in Utah. <laughs> and they're probably, you know, maybe they had bad meat or whatever, or, you know, old cheese or something. But it's crazy to me to think like, you know, every, and they've called it the flu game for 20 years. And it had nothing to do with the flu. He had food poisoning. That just shows you like back then information was a little slower. Yeah. But when you have a like – Flu game rolls off the tongue a lot easier than food poisoning game. <laughs> yeah, bad you pizza know? game. And in the end, you're feeling horrible, and it's remarkable nonetheless. Yes. Yeah. No. I'm not. I'm not knocking the effort. Yeah. But the other point that I heard made was, how would you know how to poison a pizza? <laughs> like, if you were, <laughs> if you were like sitting at the pizza place, like we're gonna get him. You know, like what would you? What like do you have like a magical poisoning kit? You know, like oh. Uh, <laughs> We sprinkle the poison, you know, like the Witch and the Wizard of Oz. Like, what's happening there? Like, how would that even, how would they know how to do that? So it was weird to me that Grover was telling that story. Like, and MJ too, they were telling the story like, this is factual. This actually happened. I'm thinking like, it couldn't have happened exactly like that. I didn't hear MJ talk about a, like a poison. No, no, but he talked about the pizza. Yeah, and, eating you know, the whole pizza. Yeah. Yeah, like, I just couldn't... And no one said poison. Like, oh, Tim Grover okay. didn't... They just alluded to the fact that, like, something happened. You know, five guys yeah. showed up. Which is weird. Like, that... Honestly, five guys showing up wouldn't make sense. Like, if they knew they were delivering a pizza to Michael Jordan, like, of course. Like, what else? Yeah. Who else are they... You know, they're like, oh, my gosh, we'll go meet Michael Jordan. Like, duh. Like, I'd go, too. They're, so, did they call... I wish they would have gone to that. Did they call the place? Like, I'd like to order a large pepperoni for Michael yes. Jordan, please. Well, I, no, I mean, yeah, that's the other thing. Like, what? And someone did say that that they like now those <laughs> days are gone where you could call and order a pizza for Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Like, if LeBron's ordering a pizza, he can't put it under LeBron James. He has to have you know an alias or some kind of yeah. someone else's name to pick it up. But yeah, I don't know it, the, that whole story. Like, I I wish they had done some more investigation on that. And like, let's really let's fact like, and you couldn't. Uh, they had to be able to track down the name of the pizza place. You know what I mean? Like someone there would have remembered what the pizza place is. And I'm sure you could have found some employee that worked there at the time, you know, and like, let's really get to the bottom of what's happening here because it's like one of the most, <laughs> it's like what a big topic in this, in this episode. And no one, I don't know. They just like, it's all like 
veiled in this secrecy and suspicion. It's like, mm, I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing someone tried to poison him. I yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't think somebody tried to poison him. I think your theory is probably the best of just some little pizza place that had some bad molded cheese or something. Yeah, not my theory. I took it from Marcelo and oh, Simmons. But dang, yeah. taking their notes again. I, I mean, that's how it, Carter said to <laughs> lean into it. He said, he said, he said it's good. Just lean into it. So that's what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I was, th- I mean, I just couldn't like if someone was like, hey, you need to poison this person. Like who? Like what humans? Like oh, okay, I know what to do. And they didn't have the internet back then, so it's not like they could Google, you know, how to poison an NBA athlete. Like, there's no, you know, there's nothing to, I don't know. It just seems a little bit far-fetched to me. I'm with you. I think it was a happenstance, bad food, got sick. Yeah, and I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying he was sick. I get it. Yeah. yeah, But I'm saying, like, the circumstances of the poison pizza, I'm not sure about. Okay, and then the serious one, this, this is a weird segue, but, um... I thought the stuff about Steve Kerr's dad, I didn't know any of that. No, I didn't either. That was crazy. And I thought it was an incredible story. And I really, at, uh, they asked Steve Kerr, did you and MJ ever talk about your dads? I was like, whoa, that was a powerful question. And Steve Kerr's, like, Steve Kerr was, if we talk about winners and losers from the documentary, I mean, I think MJ, obviously, huge winner. But I thought Steve Kerr came out of this looking really good. He stands up to Jordan, you know, doesn't – he got punched in the face by Jordan, doesn't, like, talk bad about him, doesn't, you know. And then, like, the stuff about his dad was was incredible. And his answer to when they asked him, you know, do you – did you ever talk to MJ about your guys' dads? He's like, no. He's like, I just think it was, like, too much. That would have been too much for both of us. Like, that was a powerful answer. That was a whole crazy story. I mean, yeah, I didn't know any of that. I can't even like I can't even put it together because I mean, he's working in Beirut. He yeah, gets shot in the head by people posing as students. Like, how do you explain that one to your kids? Right. One, well, I thought it was awesome that his response to that, because you could go a lot of different ways. With yeah. That. You know, you could go into like the depression and I'm just, you know, not, and I'm not knocking any of those ways. You know, I mean, people all deal with grief in their own way, but I thought, wow, he just, he's like, he just poured himself into hoops. Like, here's this thing that I'm doing that I'm into and he just poured himself into it even more. You know, I thought, wow, what a cool, what a cool way to handle that. You know, there's. There's probably no right or wrong way to handle Well, there, yeah, there's definitely some wrong ways to handle it. But <laughs> it's hard to say this is the best way to handle it. But, you know, like for him, that's what he needed. And it ended up, you know, obviously working out pretty well for him. Well, I'm sure it gave him some pretty good perspective on life, too, because he's always seemed like the guy, like he's a competitor. He wants to win. But yeah. he never seems like that guy is like, this is my identity. And if I fail at this, I'm like, my life is over. Like he mm-hmm. always has like, Curry missed that shot to either tie or win in the in the clinching game against the Raptors last year, and they kind of just had a moment where they kind of laughed it off, like, "Well, we had a good run," you know, like, mm-hmm. like, "Well, I guess we lost this one." Yeah. When he, the, yeah. So anyway, Steve Kerr, I think, big winner out of the dock. I don't want to go too much into that, but I thought the story was, and I thought they did a really good job of telling that story too, even though, because that's one of those things too where. It's not necessarily relating to MJ, but it does relate to the season. 
and it gave some more perspective on that whole thing. I thought it was really good. I I thought the way they told that story was powerful. Well, it kind of tied them together. Him and Jordan, they both had that in common. And, you know, whether or not they had some sort of bond from just knowing that about each other. Yeah. In that moment in game six in 1997, that he was able to trust him a little more because maybe he'd he'd known that about him. And he's been through some tough stuff, too. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if they were trying to make that connection, but they, they made it seem like that. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, Jordan was worried, and we may talk about this when we're going over the summary, but, you know, we've mentioned a couple times he was worried about how people were going to see him after this documentary. But, I mean, for me, there was one thing in here that told me, there was a lot of stuff I really liked, and I thought, overall, I had a better appreciation for Michael Jordan after the documentary than I did before. Not that I, I mean, I liked him before, too, but... This was like a, oh, this is like a college course on Michael Jordan. It was well worth taking, you know. But uh, when it, it keeps showing those security guards, I, I, I just started thinking, like, you can't be a jerk and have people around you for that long. You know what I mean? I think what like, happened he was, was he, I mean, he's, he's so competitive. And that he demands so much out of his teammates. It's almost like he goes into this role. So he's almost like a different person on the court. And I think that's been talked about before. Mm-hmm. So you can't be friends with those people because you're treating them so hard. They're mm-hmm. not going to want to be your friend off the court. When really the person he is off the court is the guy he's with, those security guards. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. that's what told me. I was like, okay, like, no matter what, he was worried that people were going to think he was a jerk. But, like, if you really look at it, the people in his life, not his teammates, the people in his like, his life that he was spending the most amount of time with, even probably more than his family, you know, those guys were completely loyal to him and like looked at him in a really friendly way. Like that guy Gus, you know, sort of turns into his like, his dad. You yeah. know, I mean, turns into like a father figure to him. And I thought it was also really interesting that Michael was the first one to notice that he was sick. Yeah. You know, I was like, man, that's a level of, when you get to that level of knowing someone that you can recognize that something's off, it's like, so not only was he, were those guys, those guys liked being around him enough to stay in it for the long haul, but he cared enough about them to like notice things when they were off. Mm -hmm. And to me, I was like, this is, this guy really, this is a good guy, you know, regardless of what's happening. Because everybody, I think, when they go to work is probably a little different than they are when they're at home in their personal life, you know? Yeah. And so I'm not really, that's not, I, I'm i looking at that as, okay, he was trying to get the most out of everybody there. I was looking at what kind of man is he, you know? And I was impressed. That, that stuff with the security guards and with Gus, I was like, that, that says a lot. And they didn't really, I wasn't, I didn't get the sense they were trying to show that. They were trying to use that as like, see, look, Michael's a good guy. That's just what I took out of it. I was like, man, Michael must have been a good guy for all those guys to, because, you know, eventually if he was just like a jerk and, you know, those guys would try to find something else. They would do something else, you know, but the fact that they were with him, they wanted to be with him, like that says a lot about what kind of person Jordan really is. And they stuck with him even too after basketball. They were all 
his friends until they passed away. For and sure. That, and the other guy, his manager, who was his driver originally, is still is still around him today too. Yeah. Um, I couldn't believe that Rodman missed practice for <laughs> that the was WCW. Awesome. That was insane. The best thing about that whole story was that the media is asking Phil Jackson, is this a distraction for you guys? He's like, it's not a distraction for us. It's a distraction for you guys. Yeah. He's like, you guys are the ones talking about it. He's like, we, yeah. know, we know Dennis. <laughs> yeah. Which still, though, is like, I couldn't believe Phil. Like, I wonder what Phil was like behind the scenes with that. You know, because yeah. that's what he, he has to say that to the public and yeah. back his guy. But I wonder if he's like... You know, they're watching WCW and Rodman's hitting some guy with a chair. I wonder if he's just like, oh, my. You know, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, and I thought it was interesting that, you know, maybe, I don't know. He, I think Jackson was ready for it to be done. You know, totally. even though, yeah, I that I got that out of it. Cause it was interesting, and Simmons made a big deal about the fact that Jordan kind of said that he wasn't happy about how it ended, and he wasn't sure why it had ended like that, and... Because I guess he's never really said that before in, in public. But I got the sense when I was listening to uh, Phil talk about stuff that he was ready for it to be done. I think he was burned out. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, well, I think... And when, when go you go into a season with the expectation of this is it, you don't want to get to the end and be like, oh, I guess I could do it another year. It's like, no. That's the biggest part I thought. This is it. I think you're right you on. You yes. told me we were done. I told the team we were done. Yeah, and do he it planned the whole. He called the last dance. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like, oh, just kidding. And you know, when they do that <laughs> thing, uh, I think Steve Kerr was talking about. You know, where they all they put like what they yeah. wanted to say about the season. Jordan wrote a poem, and they put it in this coffee can and burned it. Like, wh- how do you come back from that? You know, <laughs> you're like, hey, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Let's take those ashes out. You know, like I mean, you you can't really come back. But I did. You know, it is. I guess what you're saying is what I was thinking is like Kraus should have never said that to begin with. No, I mean if he doesn't say that, then there's maybe they couldn't come, they can't come back. Yeah. They don't call this the last dance, you know. So they already treated Pippen so bad, he's not gonna want to come back and play for them again. Yeah, and it was crazy too because Pippen was talking about you know best player ever, best coach ever, and he said best GM ever, and I remember thinking like, and it's not because. Simmons were still said it too. I had this thought while I was watching. I was thinking, <laughs> can he be considered the best GM ever? I don't think so because, yeah, he put this team together, but like they drafted Michael Jordan, they didn't know he was going to be the best player ever. You know what I mean? They didn't. There was no like, oh, well, yeah, he's going to be the best player ever. So then we'll just and you know they drafted Scotty and they got Tony. I mean, but like I was looking like they also had you know Bill Winnington and you know like. <laughs> It wasn't like he was building – they gave up Horace Grant when they could have – you know, it's like they underpaid Scotty. Not only, You know, it's like that was a blunder too. Like they treated him like – think about just human incentives. Like a guy is not going to perform at his best all the time if you're like, hey, we got to we, – we screwed you over. You know what I mean? Like yeah. too bad, sign the contract. And that's how they treated him. It's like nowadays he would just push for a trade year two and be out of there. People are, you know, people are saying that this documentary is not reflecting Pippen well, but I, I mean, I know he had the whole "I'm not going to go in because I don't want to pass the ball" thing in ninety mm-hmm. ninety four, mm-hmm. but I mean, here's a guy who's getting underpaid. He doesn't want to play for the team really. He's his back is messed up, and if and if you watch that game six closely, like. He's doing just dirty work. He's not doing anything 
He's not scoring that much. He's just doing dirty work. He's At the end of the game, he tells Jordan, like, hey, if he gets around you, I'm going to take a charge. So don't foul him because I'm going to take a charge. And his back's falling apart. Right. My, my favorite sequence uh, is he sets a screen on Malone. Malone just shoves him. He goes to the ground. Mm-hmm. It takes him like five seconds to get up. And as soon as he stands up, Jordan's coming at him. And he sets another screen. Like, just I'll set another screen. Yeah. And like he's going yeah. back to the locker room to get stretching. I know that there's some things about Pippen that are dumb, but I mean, you got to, you got to, something about his character is right because of how hard he played for a situation he didn't want to be in. Well, I thought it was interesting that they seemed to, it was almost like at the end, because, you know, Michael Jordan, two of his top trusted guys are like executive producers on the doc. I think Michael (laughs) had some kind of, so I was kind of like, oh, it seemed weird the, fitting and i know like okay it was game six of the finals right before the end but it's like they almost wanted to be like hey just so you know scotty was legit you know what i mean it's yeah. almost like they had to make sure that they hey hey scotty's tough you know like he he wasn't soft and it just seemed like kind of it seemed weird to me it didn't it didn't necessarily fit for how much they spent how much time they dedicated to telling that part of the story it seemed like, oh, they're like, they want to make sure Pippen approves of the documentary and wasn't, his feelings weren't hurt by some of that. You know what I mean? It seemed like more, there was more to why that was there in the in the doc. So this is my thing with the documentary, with the ending of it. Okay. And there's no perfect way to end the documentary. I mean, the conclusion is they win the title and Michael makes a shot, everybody knows that. But they spent so much time on that game six. Yeah. And I know that was the last game. And, but I feel like, I don't know. I felt like most people watching that know the results of the game and know what happened. And I didn't think they needed to spend that much time on it. It was almost like highlights from the game, which is cool. Yeah. I like highlights from the game. But to take this 10 part documentary and to finish it with like an extended ESPN reel. I don't know. It just it felt it felt like it wasn't a great ending to the documentary for me. What about the slow mo walk with the longest cigar I've ever seen in my life? Is that a good way to end it? That put me to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is tough how to how to end that correctly because I guess I I was kind of hoping that they would have at least done some like words at the end you know like and talked about how he built jordan into this multi-billion dollar brand and you know that he like at least have something like what's he doing now you know like if, yeah because i don't really know i mean i know he's like involved in nike and he's part owner of the bobcats so, but like they don't really ever they don't talk about any of that stuff like what happened after the fact i think it would have been good to go into like the main guys and Kind of like what they learned from that season and how they put it forward. Yeah. That type of thing. Like Steve Kerr with the Warriors now. Like, what is he taking yeah. from that season? What mm-hmm. is Jordan taking from that experience with the Bulls as with the Hornets now? Yeah. That would have been that would have been good to see. There was there's no perfect way to end it. I mean, the director is in such a tough position. First of all, you're doing the Jordan documentary. That's what everybody mm-hmm. wants to see. It's in the middle of this shutdown, so everybody's gonna be watching it. Right. And they're editing remote. 
Yeah, I don't even remember. So there's so much. They're going- working on the last two episodes while the first one's debut. Maybe that's why they finished with just the game. Be like, oh, guys, we just got to get it done. Game clips. Yeah, go. I mean, yeah, they were literally still editing nine and ten when the first two came out. Yeah. So I mean, he was in a tough position. Uh, I think he did a great job. It was very entertaining. But like I told you before, the bar for documentaries has been set very high with the OJ documentary. Oh, I and, thought you were uh, going to say with Tiger King. What's that? Tiger Woods? <laughs> the Tiger Wait, you don't know what Tiger King is? I think I've heard it mentioned. Oh my gosh. Dude. I I even had a joke as I said this is the basketball Tiger King. <laughs> Something that everybody's watched. How do you not You're like the only person in America that doesn't know what the Tiger King is. This is a documentary on Netflix that like has been the quarantine sensation. Of sensations. Well, I haven't, I haven't heard about it. Yeah, you you wouldn't like it. It would. It's definitely not up your alley. But it's. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's a. It's incredible though. I I have watched it. It was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but I think. But anyway, that's a big reason probably why the ending was, in my opinion, lackluster. Is because they were rushed. They had it. They weren't going to release it till June, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, no, they were obviously rushed and they probably just. Not only rushed, but I mean, like, you know, you know from editing stuff now, like, editing content yeah. is tedious, it takes forever. And, you know, like, think about on that scale where they have, like, different people responsible for different editing different parts. And now you can't even, like, meet together and talk about stuff. You have to, like, here, I'll email you this or I'll upload this file to Dropbox and then, you know, we'll meet on Zoom to talk about it. Like, that, just that in and of itself is going to make things more tedious, more yeah. difficult, you know, take longer. It's not what you're used to. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, man, I was just the fact that they were able to get it out this early. I was really impressed. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed it and it was entertaining. I still feel like it was just an extended version of MJ to the max. Hmm. Like they watched MJ to the max and said, let's just stretch this out to 10 episodes. That's hmm. what it, that's what it felt like to me. Uh, but again, that much history to cover so many storylines you can go down. Mm -hmm. They have however many hours of unseen footage. I feel like that set them up poorly too, because anybody that's done video editing knows the amount of footage you have versus the amount you can use Mm -hmm. is it's like not even close. So when you're telling us you have this much unseen footage, we're expecting to see so much of that and i feel like most of the stuff we saw was the history of it which was important to the story mm-hmm. but it gave me like a false sense of what i expected to see coming into the documentary hmm see i don't agree with that because like the stuff with the security guards and um the stuff with his teammates you know stuff in the locker room i did think there was some good behind the scenes stuff but you know it was little things like Magic coming in and being like, hey, you mother... And then he's like, oh, wait, we're on camera. What's up, you mugs? You know, it's like, that was that was interesting. That was like, I was like, oh, interesting. Well, that was, like, that was the best stuff. That was the best right. stuff, all that. You're but right. I felt like there was enough of that stuff in there, um, you know, and maybe it's because I, I haven't seen MJ to the max probably as many times as you. That's but, for sure. Uh, but I did feel like, and I felt like there was a lot of him... Tell, like he was ready to tell the story you know the thing that you can't do in um i'm trying to remember what all the mj come fly with me and all those yeah. you know 
he's he was in it at the moment. Like I thought it was awesome to have twenty years removed or twenty five years removed, Michael talking about what he thought about that now. You know, I mean, yeah, I, that was really cool. I did think so. I did think it was valuable, and I didn't really feel like it was just a replay of those old DVDs. I, I thought there was some cool new stuff in it and some things that he hadn't talked about before, maybe hadn't talked about in depth or in that way. So yeah, I was, I, I thought it was great. I was totally into it. I think it's cause the nerd in me would have just rather hear the entire Michael Jordan interview, you know, the mm-hmm. hours of interview and just him doc, like talking over clips and like, this is what I think of. Like when they give him the iPad and he's watching and then he talks about this, like the glove and he's mm-hmm. like explaining the story. That was some of the best stuff to me. And yeah. I would enjoy just more of that, I guess. But no, it was very entertaining. I just again I, I feel like the bar is set so high with the OJ doc that when you're talking when you well, have a Jordan doc, you expect it or you hope that it's gonna be to that level. And so I'm really leaning into it, like Carter said. But uh <laughs> Simmons and Rosillo had a good point. You know, they were saying that the you're right, the and the OJ doc is sort of the standard but what they were saying is, like, the the advantage that the OJ guys had was they were like, well, what if we offend OJ? Like, who cares? Yeah, you that's know what true. I mean? That's true. And with this one, there there are people, you know, obviously Michael being the, the main guy, but like I was saying, you don't want to, you don't want Scotty to be like, wait, that's not how it really was, or, you know. But Horace Jackson Grant, he's like, coming out with all you know, that. Yeah, yeah. They exactly. don't care about Horace Grant, though. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, even there, like, they they gave him time to, to tell his side of the story. Yeah. You know what I mean? They let him, you know, the the one, the only omission from that was Jordan's wife. That that was the his ex-wife. That yeah. Was, you know, that she's kind of involved. She's around some of the stuff, and they don't ever even mention her in the doc. But, you know, but, like, that is an advantage for the OJ guys. Like, they, you know, the, the, the only joke they made was that maybe it isn't a good idea to make OJ mad. But, um. <laughs> You know, but, like, they don't care whether OJ's upset about their portrayal of him. So it gives them access to really tell the story the way they think the story should be told and not worry about, they don't have to worry about anybody's feelings. And so I don't know that you're going to be able to have a documentary like that ever for, you know, like, in this type of context with, with, you know, a great athlete. You know, I just don't think you could do it. I don't think you could do it. That's a great point. I didn't think about that. I still think I still think it was great. I think that my problem was is I had too high of expectations for what I wanted sure, to see. Sure, sure. It was a great. And maybe, and maybe it wasn't. I didn't have as high, do, you know, of expectations because, I mean, I'm just not as big of a basketball fan anymore, you know. But I will agree too. The OJ doc was incredible. Yeah, that that thing was crazy. Like yeah. I would, I would still rewatch this. Jordan documentary. I was gonna ask numerous you numerous times. Yeah, it. I would. I would totally. It was good enough for Ryan to be like, "Oh yeah, that'd be great. Let's watch okay. it." But uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. But that was. It was good, definitely. Okay, there we go. Anything else? I don't know what else I have. I mean, I was looking at that '98 season, and it's funny. Like Drexler retired the same year. I wonder if he thought mm-hmm. he'd get a documentary made about him or something. <laughs> Go back to our Drexler talk. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we don't need. He's a nice guy. We don't need to keep piling on him. I did have a uh, non-Jordan I, question. Yeah, go. I, I want to know just curiosity. Why is Larry Bird the only like former player who, former former superstar, former legend, 
that was a good coach. Yeah. Yeah. He took him to a finals against the Lakers, almost took him to the finals that year. Jordan beat him. So I heard, I think Patino talk about this, and it gave me hope because, you know, I was not a good basketball player. But he said that uh, a lot of times great coaches were not great players because the game didn't come as easy to them. It wasn't as natural. It wasn't like they had to work harder for everything they got, and they had to, like, find ways to get themselves on the floor, you know? But I want to know what was it about Bird? Like, yeah, that is that is he was probably the best player to ever be a successful coach, don't you think? I would think so. I can't think of anybody at the top of my head. I mean, you can make a case like Jason Kidd. I I think Lenny Wilkins was good in his day. He was, and he was a good coach. Um, you know, you'd have to go back. Pat Riley, I think. Yeah, was but they okay, don't call him Lenny Lenny Legend. No, yeah, no, no one at that level. I mean, no yeah. one that that's that good has ever been a successful coach. I don't, yeah, that would be an interesting, that should be the next documentary is Larry Bird doc. You don't count the Larry magic courtship of rivals. What's that? You don't count the Larry magic courtship of rivals. No, like just one specifically on, cause that's the hard part about those guys is because their histories are so intertwined. Yeah. They never do like a just specific. I mean, they might do like, a, I'm sure NBA films did one highlight video of Larry Bird and had people tell a couple stories, but they did. I had I don't, it. It would be, it would be, yeah, I'm just probably on YouTube if people want to see it, but um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's not the next, I just think it'd be cool. It'd be cool to see. Cause I think he was like, didn't he smoke for a while? Who? Larry Bird. Oh, probably. They all were doing that. Yeah, like drink. These guys just drink beer halftime and stuff. Like, I just think it'd be funny to kind of go over those old stories. That would be funny. And then also to talk about, it'd be interesting to see like what he, what does he credit? Like, how was he able to transition from a great player to a great coach? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Yeah, it'd be interesting. There's a lot of interesting things. Just about, I like the what ifs. Like, what if Jordan doesn't come back? Because you got yeah. 96. Who in the East was competing with them? The Knicks? Yeah. I mean, do they beat the Sonics? 97. Is somebody going to beat the Jazz that year? Like, wh- would would Kemp and Peyton have gotten the title? Would Stockton Malone right. have gotten one of those? Would Reggie Miller have gotten one of those? Mm-hmm. I always think about those things. What if Barkley had won the '93 Finals? Does he not retire? You know. Yeah, yeah. and then even if they know. if they come back to go for a seventh, you know the Knicks made the finals as an eighth seed. Are they even getting in the playoffs? Right. And then are the Spurs going to win that first one to make them become the next great team, or do they? Lose, they, oh, Duncan and Robinson can't play together, and they bail on one of them. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, there's no what ifs. There's Just no what Michael ifs. Michael Jordan is the greatest. <laughs> All the LeBron people don't at me.